eWire is the UK's vibrant network for women in clean energy. In this podcast, we'll hear from Sonia Bedford. Sonia has been advocating for renewable energy for the last 18 years through both her role as solicitor at Stephen Scone and community energy practitioner. Her drive to bring forward renewable energy projects comes from a deep-rooted passion for sustainability and a long-held mission to facilitate as many wind turbines as possible. Sonia has a house full as it's half term, and so I'm really sorry for any background noise that you can hear. So Sonia, welcome to our EY podcast. So you're very well known across the sector for your passion, your knowledge, your dedication for community energy and your very well-deserved MBE. You're the driving force behind Stephen Scown's energy team and I'm delighted to welcome you to our EY podcast. So hello. Hello and thank you, Rachel. So I have one burning question. I've not mentioned your work for Bristol or your family or the fact that you're an awesome singer in a band, um, your love for horses. So I'm kind of just, yeah, I thought I'd kick things off. I was wondering, like, how do you fit it all in? Sometimes I'm, I'm not really sure how I do. <laughs> I've always said, and, and when I have taken on another role recently, that if you want to do something, you'll always find time to do it. But I do find, yeah, I probably always take on a little bit too much. But because I love everything from the family to the horses to the work, um, I'll find time to do it. But there's, yeah, there's probably always someone at the other end of that who's not getting quite as much attention that they should be, whether that's an animal or a child. Or, or yourself, perhaps, at times. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Because I, because I love doing all of those things and the work, that doesn't feel like a sacrifice for me, but it probably does for my, if you ask my family. Yeah, I did. I thought it was really lovely when I read, I reread your kind of MBE press release actually before um, when I was thinking about you. And uh, I thought it was really nice that the first thing you mentioned was how proud your family would be of you and how, um, yeah, to kind of make up for some of that evening and weekends volunteering time that it was really nice for that to be recognised. I think it's really important. Yeah, definitely. And I think when I um, recently did a, uh, fairly recently did an MSc and in my front page of my dissertation, I think, yeah, family the sacrifices they made when I was doing that as well um, and the evenings I spent working on that really important to acknowledge them um, they're very used to my busyness and I'm very lucky but um, but yeah you really have to, to say thank you to all the people and and work people around me as well who allow me to uh, do all those things. So you mentioned your MSc can you tell me a bit about that like how so you did that was quite a technical science background MSc wasn't it alongside um continuing your work and everything like how did you find that yeah well I graduated uh, a couple of years ago now I did uh, an MSc in renewable energy at the Centre for Alternative Technology and I'd been up there um, doing some short courses and learning and doing um, working with on the Zero Carbon Britain work and I was so inspired and blown away but also I felt that the way my legal career was going was it was becoming more and more technical in the in the work that I was doing and I felt I needed to expand my knowledge to help me deal with my clients just a personal interest in in the technology behind renewable energy so I, I signed up for the MSc a part-time 
course but uh, when you're doing it at the center for alternative technology you actually have to stay up there for residential weeks because it is in uh, the wilds of north wales and um, to be honest i was enthusiastic but didn't really know what i was letting myself in for and had i had to take undertake the test that they now do for undergraduates to go on the msc i probably wouldn't have got on the course but with my 10 years of legal renewables knowledge behind me i'll be fine it'll be okay uh, and the first week that I got up there, I had a huge realisation that um, this was going to be a lot harder than I ever anticipated it was going to be. My brain had been doing legal work words for the last, well, 20, 25 years, and I hadn't done a mathematical equation since I did my GCSEs. It was the hardest thing I've ever done intellectually. One of the things I had to come to terms with was um, I think when you get to a certain point in your career, you get relatively comfortable in your knowledge. I mean, you're still learning every day, but you you know that you know your job a little bit. Mm -hmm. And to start failing on something, and I did fail a couple of modules because my technical ability wasn't good enough. My scientific background wasn't there. And to come to that realization that actually you're not quite as clever as you thought you were <laughs> um, was really hard. And it was really hard having to retake some of the modules and to push myself to um to get through it there were points where i thought i would never actually achieve the masters but i did yeah i'm very very grateful for all the tutors up there who kept pushing me going you can do it you can do it um and did a pretty technical dissertation on alternative grid connections which would interest nobody but us <laughs> probably but i worked with a lot of the dnos to do that so um, so yeah, um, it was incredibly hard, very rewarding. And following on from that, I, I've now taken up a trustee position at CAT because I'm so, I think the work that they do up there is so important and um, very much follow and, and also help lecture on the Zero Carbon Britain course as well. Okay, oh, that's interesting. So that, that kind of leads you onto kind of some public speaking as part of the lecturing and yeah, and just yeah, engaging with more people and kind of helping them along the journey, I think. That's good. I think the sector has got hugely complex now. I think I look back to the days of the feeding tariff and I think, gosh, it was a bit, a bit simpler then, like, as opposed to all the revenue stacking for storage projects and, and things now. Yeah, I take my hat off to you for challenging yourself, I guess, in that way. Yeah, I, I don't think I've done any mathematical equations since school either. So. No, I nearly cried when yeah, one of the first equations was longer than um, one line. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't even know what the symbols meant in the equation. Yeah. And even now, I still struggle with my daughter's GCSE math. So, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well done. Um, I guess did you pull on your kind of support networks to help you through that? Like, because when things are challenging like that, I think the more people you've got, you mentioned the lecturers to kind of support you and kind of egg you on. I guess is, is does really help. Oh yeah, it definitely. I think in those moments, particularly when um, I was still working full time and 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 still obviously had the family at home, um, and there were moments when I, you know, I was genuinely crying myself to, to into my papers and and but there were yeah not only the the lecturers and tutors I've called on um, some of the very clever people at Regen who understand spreadsheets a lot better than I do um, to help and um, definitely got a lot of help from colleagues at Regen but also in the office as well they were they would at times say right let us proofread something and we'll tell you if we can understand it um, and the team at work were, were really really supportive they wanted it well, you did joke at the end of it that it became a, a joint MSC between the, the team um, uh, and myself. Yeah, no, that's, that's, well, I guess that's kind of shared credit there. 
which is quite nice. Um, so can you talk to me? So you set up um, the renewable energy team at Stephen Scone. I think I remember meeting you at the Goon Hilly repowering um, down in Cornwall when we yeah, we went up the inside of a turbine, which is very exciting. And I think from there, you kind of made great strides and kind of huge amounts of drive in terms of setting up a, a really strong renewable energy team. And yeah, how, like how was that kind of process? I've been working and doing some wind farm projects at my previous law firm um, at Osborne Clark in Bristol and uh, and been doing a lot of sustainability volunteer work throughout that time um, and I really wanted to and felt the drive to do and to focus my entire work on on the renewable sector and at that point in time it was just before the feed-in tariff was introduced it was quite hard to make an entire career out of um, renewables but then with the advent of the feed-in tariff and um, more progress across solar particularly, um, I saw uh, an opportunity and Steve, my firm, Stephen's Kid, saw an opportunity as well because they're very much based in the, in the West Country and at that time a lot of landowners were starting to be approached for, for solar across Cornwall and Devon um, at that time. Uh, none of us had ever seen a solar farm. Um, uh, the, I think the the predictions under the feed-in tariff from the Labour, when Labour introduced it, were that we would have perhaps two solar farms in the whole country. I remember standing up in, in village halls talking about the legal aspects of doing a solar farm, having never seen one and never done one in my entire life. But knowing that this was going to be an opportunity to really progress uh, the renewables industry. So carrying on from some of the really good work that had been done at the firm through in the wind sector, we decided to set up the, um, the renewable energy team solely focusing on, on, on renewables. And it was just me to start with. Um, but that just grew and grew and grew um, and ended up with a, yeah, a team of nine of us um, focusing on, on um, all aspects of, of onshore renewables. And um, it was amazing. It was, yeah, I don't know whether it was good judgment or good timing or or um, it was a scary jump from a very large city law firm to a, an excellent but smaller firm and in a sector where no one was really sure exactly what was going to happen um, and, and since that date we've been involved in over 300 solar farms probably 50 or 60 wind projects um, anaerobic digestion hydro um, we've cried with all our clients as uh, the sector went up and down um, and uh, we've reached today where we're still really, really busy um, in, in all of the renewables technologies. Yeah, it's certainly been turbulent times um, for the solar sector. I do remember the first Regen event that we did on solar, where we were expecting like a handful of people to come along and find out what a solar farm was and how it works for planners, I think it was. And there was something like, yeah, over 80 people kind of jammed in a much too small room or standing room only at the back. Oh, so. no, those, those early days were mad. I did a, I did a presentation um, very, very early on at... Um, a village hall not far away from my home in, in Somerset was Michael Levis um, had done one of the first large-scale rooftop solar installations and mm -hmm. uh, there were people fighting outside to get into the village hall to hear about it. It was unheard of of a lawyer presentation, that's <laughs> for sure. So Sonia, you also mentioned your work in community energy. Um, so I think you're a non-exec director for five community energy groups, is that right? So Bath and West, um, South Dartmoor, got a local community group at Avalon. Um, yes, Avalon, Avalon, um, um, Green Wedmore, um, and also uh, the Isles of Scilly Community Venture as well. So spread right out across 
uh, as far as south as you can get to to yeah my home at uh, near bristol and um around there so yes a lot of groups yeah so how do, how do you find that so i think something we kind of advocate a lot through ewire is kind of springboarding from women from senior management through to board positions and one of the ways that kind of is quite helpful for women to be able to do that is to get some volunteer positions some kind of non-exec experience some of that kind of governance experience so you talk a bit more about what you know what's really expected of you on those boards what kind of time commitment is it what kind of skill set can you well you know the different skill sets you can bring um obviously i imagine you bring law in many instances but i'm sure perhaps not not only that now after your msc but um yeah it'd be good to just understand that a little bit more in terms of the kind of practical you know the practical realities yeah. of sitting on a board so yes, my first group was Exeter Community Energy and I uh, was a founding director there um, seven years ago now. Mm -hmm. And for me, I hadn't been on any boards um, at all at that time, apart from Regen. And um, I felt I wanted to volunteer locally to where I worked and locally where I um, lived as well. And joined the Exeter Community Energy Board. Um, and I suppose I am their legal advisor, but also, just volunteer time we were all setting up lots of projects um solar rooftop projects and doing share offers at the time you know i've practiced in law for 20 odd years now i still the responsibility of being on the board for a community energy group is 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 very different um because you really do get stuck in um for all aspects of being on a board being a director um and you, you have to muck in with everything from the finances to communications to data. So you, you get a very good overall impression of how it is to, to run a company um, mm -hmm. and the community energy, a lot of the community energy companies are handling a lot of significant amounts of money and investors money and have a big responsibility. So very much advocate anyone who is seeking to get experience both in energy and voluntary sector and also as a board member to, to look into community energy organizations as a way of furthering careers and, and gaining that experience uh, in the main the community groups are really welcoming and really friendly and always <laughs> after people um to to step up and, and be on boards particularly now as we're sort of 10 years down the line after some of the first community groups and and we need to keep bringing new people in and getting people enthused about that um <laughs> the boards that i'm on really vary because um, Bath and West has, you know, an asset base of 17 million, whereas um, some of my groups have, you know, own no projects, but are just involved mm -hmm. in education and, and furthering um, the zero carbon agenda in their local communities. Um, but it's it's challenging um, and every day is, a, is learning, um, but um, it's a supportive area to be in. So I would really recommend people who are looking to try um, being a director to, to look up their local community group because they'll definitely welcome you with open arms. Is that, is that on a kind of practical level? Is that the right thing to do is kind of reach out to people and say, you've got some spare time, you're interested in a non-exec possession. Did they have any kind of vacancies or need? Is there or is there a kind of formal application process for any of them? Depends. Um, because of the nature of the community energy sector, directors have to retire um, on a rotating basis because mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're all elected uh, in the main by um, members and so it keeps it incredibly democratic so for some groups there will be a re-election process um, well for all groups there'll be a re-election process every year where anyone who wants to can stand as a, uh, a board member if they're a member of that community group and the way I would 
recommend getting involved is becoming uh, a member um, of a group or, or volunteering to start with and getting to know um, the organization um, really well first of all to make sure that the projects are interesting um, and that uh, the people there are um, people that you could work with and get involved with um, and then um, then either putting yourself up for a formal um, process or for groups that have vacancies just asking um, if they have any space on the board or require any uh, help for that so um, it's it's really um, yeah just getting to know the local groups but so uh, I've never known uh, or very rarely know any community group that won't welcome uh, additional help um, <laughs> but as for the specific skills I mean it helps uh, if you have a skill like project management or um, um, legal, financial, but you don't have to. Um, and all those things can be very much learned on the job. Yeah, I think I'm, I remember when I um, joined the board of Community NG England and you, you had to do a kind of public presentation at the AGM, which was about I don't know, 80 odd people. You had to stand up and say why you deserve that board position. It was a little bit daunting, but um, luckily I got voted on after it. So I was, that, that resulted in pride rather than just like running hiding in a corner or anything but um yeah it's, it's it is interesting the the kind of variety of of people on boards and i think and i think the more that a community energy group represents the community it's working with that kind of that broader diversity i think is really important in terms of engagement and engaging people in energy and having people that are well plugged in locally i think always really helps with with the success of the group um yeah yeah which is good Definitely. so um, so, Sun, you're also, um, I think you're a consultant now with Bristol. You're kind of embedded in the City Leap process and the HEAT team. Like, how, how do you, that's, that's a, certainly a departure from kind of a law firm environment into a local authority. How do you find that kind of change? And Yeah, it's it's been um, at this stage in my career, 20 odd years after I qualified, it was unexpected to find myself in a, in a whole new um world of public sector um i mean in complete honesty we were um it was a a time when uh subsidies had all been dropped and um the work was less for my team uh within in uh, mm -hmm. the firm and i had the ability to to do the consultancy work because of the msc and i thought well um we know that you know that we will be required the team will be required in the future. I don't want anyone to have to, you know, have to leave the team. And because I've got that ability, then why don't I go out and do some consultancy work? Mm -hmm. And um, I spoke to a number of contacts and, and Bristol City Council um, asked um, very quickly if I would come and, and help join them because they were just about to start um, this huge procurement across the energy services within Bristol. And um, I jumped at the chance, um, although again, terrified at moving into the public sector and um, something that whilst I was familiar with providing work for, for local authorities and doing work for them on developing renewables projects, I'd never been inside and, and worked directly inside uh, a local authority. And I'm so glad I did it because uh, it's been and is uh, an amazing experience getting to know people on the ground who are working, building renewables um, in the city. Um, understanding sectors of the law that I, I didn't have a, a great knowledge on procurement law and, and and that side of things, but very heavily focused on on um, the energy side. Um, but the thing I, I love most about it is is the fact that that we're actually doing things and, and really 
making a difference uh, and mm -hmm. helping drive the city to its, its zero carbon goals. So um, every day you do feel like, even with its frustrations, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that things are being achieved and I can go and look at bits of piping ground and, and in the ground and I can see things happening. And, um, and with City Leap, which is such an enormous and exciting project, which will, will um, really rocket boost Bristol's um, energy yeah, there's, there's a lot of hope for City Leap, isn't there? I think that isn't it is an exciting, exciting. Project. Yeah, it's lot so it's so project. exciting. Yeah, and and um, we've got a bit of time left before we we come out the other end of it, but uh, it's very much live at the moment. So uh, so um, I shall be very busy over the next <laughs> six months. But uh, but yeah, it it it's um, uh, and also it's I mean one of the really amazing things about it is that that I pretty much. When we opened up the City Leap project, we had um, opened up for expressions of interest and we had 185 uh, companies express an interest in being part of the City Leap um, um, journey. And we pretty much interviewed or talked to all of them. Uh, mm -hmm. So I got a, a really good grounding in what everyone in the, in the commercial sector was up to, what they were doing. Uh, and what the focus for energy was uh, everything from from people who were, were just sell selling uh, meters and smart systems to to huge energy companies so yeah been very exciting so and, far. and in, any nuggets out of that about the direction of travel like what you know where's the kind of hot space to be in at the moment what do you think is going to see in the kind of most explosive growth well I, th I think the heat side of things is clearly particularly uh, in, in Bristol uh, the heat network side of things is is very much a, a high focus and, and and the focus around driving heat to zero carbon so um, uh, district heat um, and, and zero carbon a very a big challenge really big challenge but uh, with central government focusing on decarbonizing the heat sector um, as well um, that is something which um, you know, Bristol is, is doing in, in spades but um, is something which a lot of the parties that are interested in City Leap are, are keen to progress and, and drive to, to the next um, level um, in decarbonisation. For traditional renewables, obviously, it's become a lot harder with the business models and looking at new business models, but um, very much uh, solar is still very much at the forefront of, of um, driving the renewables um, projects within, um, well, within lots of local authorities, um, as well as the heat side. Um, I'd love to see loads more wind projects, but I think we're a few years off that yet, despite my saying every day, let's build some more wind turbines. Um, <laughs> I think although, you're definitely known as a wind fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm obsessed with wind turbines. It's Yes, it's well well known, and I will get another wind project uh, off the ground uh, before long. But, um, but I think also we're moving very much, well, we, you know, we're in that digitalised era where, um, we need to connect all of everything we've done so far and um, all of the renewables, but also moving towards a very much um, streamlining those local energy markets and, and pushing forward with, with smart um, systems and, and getting everything joined up. Um, we've, we've been very good at building isolated projects without connecting them all. Uh, I think that's one of the things that City Leap will, will do is connect all of the work that's been done so far but also build on that um, and, and really create that circle of energy back to the consumers as well. Yeah, it's a really interesting model, the kind of the, the city approach, that kind of the, that leadership at a local level, I think is 
is really important and yeah, kind of putting all the projects under that umbrella is certainly I think it's the is it the first I'm not sure of anyone else doing that in the UK I think it's the first in the in the UK definitely I mean there's there's there's, there's models elsewhere Bristol is is um, fortunate in having a very large uh, energy team within the council uh, much bigger than most local authorities um, driven through their you know, projects that they've been able to develop over the years so having the wind farm and the solar farm and, and a very large um, estate means that they can pioneer a lot of these projects and have done a lot of work so far um, mm -hmm. in, in doing that so it, it's a good grounding to start with yeah I'm pleased you're excited about heat as well I think we're expecting the heat and building strategy out before Christmas um, so it'd be good to, to see what's in that I think there's kind of some yeah, long-awaited guidance from government that that we're expecting which would be yeah really good to see um yeah so son i guess one of the um, kind of the clear theme for me that's coming out through this is that you're definitely not afraid to put your hand up uh and to grab new opportunities despite how frightening or scary or different entirely different organizations or um yeah pushing yourself in different ways so and and i think that that you know that's hugely important for someone's development um, so what, what advice do you have for women in the sector who are perhaps a bit comfortable or, or, or find it really difficult for various reasons, whether that's kind of family or personal commitments or work-life balance? Like, how do you, how do you make those trade-offs? How, how do you justify that to yourself? How do you really push yourself at times when sometimes it feels uncomfortable? I think um, there's a number, I suppose, a number of things I would say. I think the first off is that you have to really believe in what you're doing. Um, and that will, will give you the backbone when you're terrified to do things. Because if you are mission-led or um, driven because you, you actually think that, that what you're doing is the right thing, then that helps in the terrifying times. And a lot of times for me, it, it would be easy for me to just go, oh, I'd... I'd Actually, I don't want to do that presentation, or I don't want to stand up and and talk or expose myself. And and there is always that worry that someone's going to ask you that question when you're doing a presentation or do something, which is going to make you look really, really stupid. And and I've got over that a little bit because nobody can know the answer to everything, and nobody can do everything. And mm -hmm. so I think the advice is that that you can't be, you can't do have everything uh, and some things will slip a bit in your life but mm -hmm. um as long as um you believe and are focused in, in what you're doing and, and don't be afraid to take things because it's it's just really um everything i've done that i've been scared of i've always been really glad that i've done it at the end and so always that relief um that you've got through it um and you go on to do the next thing and I was I think once told when I was started off singing with the band it said if, if no one tells you you're absolutely rubbish after the first time you've done it then you'll go on to do the next one and then you'll go on to do the next one and eventually you'll love doing it you won't be so scared um, and it will become second nature to you um, so I always take that on with new things even if some if no one tells me I'm rubbish then it'll be fine <laughs> no, that, that's a good that's a good mantra I think it's right yeah, it's really it's really inspiring listening to your kind of story about how you, how you have kind of grabbed those opportunities with both hands and and how that's really kind of shaped your development path I guess and I guess all the way along like kind of having that lawyer grounding that has improved your practice and your relationships with industry and um and I guess I have a you know particularly with the Bristol stuff of a greater and the communities work have a greater understanding of 
how it really how difficult it really can be to kind of get a project off the ground and underway and some of the more practical considerations yeah that's that's really useful thanks and is there any any other passing comments you've got for anyone in the network that you you think would be valuable that i have not asked you um i don't know you've asked some really really good questions um i think I don't have anything more to uh, particularly to to add, but I will always be happy to help anyone that's coming through or anyone that that wants um, to share any experiences. I did um, a while back. I trained to climb wind turbines um, and do rescue off wind turbines because I I fobbed it off with my job that this was something that clients would really want me to do. But actually, I just love wind turbines so much. I decided <laughs> to do it, and I think it's it's looking at for unexpected things which will will give you a lot of joy but also make you stand out a little bit more um and and so having that um, wind turbine working from heights qualification means that that i can you know go up turbines but also it means people go oh okay she really is serious about wind turbines <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're offering to help people on a on a kind of one-to-one -one professional level but you're also saying you can rescue us from a high oh yes i am it. i'm your fifth emergency service if you ever get stuck <laughs> up somewhere uh, i can come and come and, and save you so yeah just just do things which are fun um but also um which yeah which help with your mission well great well thanks so much for joining us sonia it's it's really really lovely to hear hear your story as part of the part of these podcasts i'm really hoping that will inspire others so um i'm sure people will reach out to thank you. you thanks sonia brilliant thanks rage Thank mm -hmm. you.